come up with what are we going to talk about because I figure I need to hear this. And so uh, when I thought about this week, I'm going to go through, we, we are doing something in Ephesians, but because they're swimming in the lake in port, um, I'll do that in port next week and do it here. So, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. And anyway, I thought we could do, with, I could do with some encouragement. Um, sometimes when you do this kind of work, as you know, uh, you can come into this every Sunday night and sometimes it, it can be discouraging. I'm just being very transparent, I, you know. It can be discouraging. And people say, we really believe in you, but they just don't turn up. And you kind of go, well, then go somewhere else. And so the obnoxious part of me wants to just bail. But the other part of me that serves Jesus says, no, that's exactly why you're meant to be here. Um, and so Jesus, you know, I was a little bit miserable with him last, at the beginning of the week, a Monday morning, I sort of woke up and he just kind of said, why don't you just ask me for Parksville? Why don't you just ask me for the whole thing? And I thought, that's cool. I like that. So I said, yeah, okay, I want Parksville. Our portion of Parksville. And I don't want to be a boring church in Parksville. We want to see lives transformed. We want, we don't want to, I don't want to see people coming from the Baptist church to here. Because that's more difficult than seeing non-Christians. <laughs> got two and they've been a handful <laughs> but you know what I mean you know the circulating of, of people who have just got attitudes I'd, you know so I'd rather say Lord help us to touch people's lives who really have never known you and discover you for the first time and discover that you're good and you're kind and so uh, you know, and sometimes I wonder, what on earth am I going to say, like tonight? I, sometimes I am wondering, actually. Um, and last night, what did you say? And so are we. Well, that's good then. We can all stay awake. Take notes so I know what I said, all right? I do know I want to talk about encouragement, and I happened to be watching a, 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 um, a TV thing last night. I quite like Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, I do. I, I, I do. Um, he's quite rude, but that's only because he uses the F word more than he needs to. But I actually think his heart is very good. It's very refreshing having somebody walk into a bad situation and say it's a bad situation, rather than say, I don't know how to tell you this, honey. And, and so I watched this Kitchen Nightmares last night, and he walks into this, ch this church, this, um, uh, this kitchen in Everett in Washington. I, it's in Washington? Everett's in Washington? Yeah. And, and this woman I, is the most bizarre. She's a belly dancer. She's, she, in the middle of people's meals, she comes out with three people clad in gold bikinis. And, and she's, I mean, she's not a looker. She's really, you know, she's a retired belly dancer. So, you know, it's, it's really not a pretty sight. But she thinks she's quite gorgeous. And the rest of the patrons are going, what is going on? Because she, you know, walks out there with three of them and they all wiggle and jiggle. And, and, and so, you know, Gordon Ramsay says, that wasn't belly dancing, that was a belly flop. <laughs> and it pretty much was. And, uh, and, he, and he said, you know, your soup of the day uh, is, uh, is the soup of the week. It's been happening for the last two weeks. He says, soup of the day? And he says, yes, the soup of the day is meant to be a fresh soup every week, every day. Oh, I thought it was just you were announcing what soup you were serving that day. And we've been having the same. And 
And it was just, but you know, the good thing about her was she knew she didn't know anything. And there is actually a reason for this. She didn't, she knew she didn't, knew, and she said, I bought this thing four years ago, and I, and I started this with the chef who's in the kitchen, who has managed to convince her that he should get 3% of the tips of all the waitresses, because he's providing the food, and the waitresses are pretty ticked off by that. And they all can see what's going on. And he produces this food, who she says to Gordon Ramsay is going to be 10 out of 10 in flavor. And of course, he goes, this isn't zero. This is absolutely disgusting. Goes into the refrigeration. And, you know, you've got fresh meat against cooked meat. And I really like him, because I actually think he calls it. And I find that quite refreshing in a culture that never calls anything. And then we were surprised, you know. And so, and he's also got a heart. Because um, he, he, he really almost wept with this woman the next day when she actually broke. And he said, you, you've, got to, you've got to start standing up and owning your, your business. And I, you know, I could talk right now and I could start crying. Because I'm telling you where I'm going. That chef had said to her, you need me more than I need you. And this is how you do it. And he had basically raped and pillaged that business for four years and produced nothing. He was destroying it. And Gordon Ramsay had to come in and say to this woman, Honey, you've got to get rid of him. And she said, I'm so scared. But when she saw that it was absolutely destroying her, she eventually plucked up the courage and she just said, You've got to go. And that is a picture of life. And God comes in. He's not Gordon Ramsay. But God comes in and sometimes when Jesus comes into our lives, he starts having to say, listen, honey, you've got to face up to something. You keep asking me for this, but you're denying this. And I cannot give you this if you will not hear this. And some of us only want to have the Jesus walking in and say, oh, I love you. And he goes, your kitchen is a mess. And you go, Lord, I want you to fix my life. And he says, your kitchen is a mess. Oh, Jesus, I said, thank you. Oh, let me do a belly dance. Do you know how much I love worship? And he says, your kitchen is a mess. And he said, I keep talking to God and he never hears me. And he says, it's because I'm telling you your kitchen is a mess and you will not listen to me. And I bring people into your life and then you just don't like them because they speak to you or they suggest things to you and so you go away. And Jesus said something very profound. He said, truth sets you free, not bullshit. I'm sorry I used that because I said I wasn't going to use that word again, but it's, it's true. But when God says your kitchen is a mess, He also says, let me help you clean it. And that's an ongoing thing. I, I cleaned the kitchen in 1970. <laughs> you remember, Jesus, we had that wonderful experience. And everything was shiny. And he said, yeah, but you haven't touched it since. I set you free in order for you to live, not to be a pig. This is an encouraging word tonight. <laughs> Why is it encouraging? It's because if you want to see change, and if you want to see life, we just have to come to terms that we're a work in progress. We need Gordon Ramsay's coming into our lives and saying, stop it. And then we also need Jesus Gordon Ramsay coming into our lives saying, this is how you make it better. Because you know what he said to her? It was so cool. And I'd actually only seen it while we were sitting, singing the last song. 
this sort of came into focus for me. I wasn't planning to share this until now, which is what I quite like about God, because sometimes He helps out, you know. When we're going, shoot, Lord, give me something that lives tonight, because I haven't got anything right now. Gordon Ramsay sat across the, the table from this weeping woman, all her mascara, you know, running around. And, and, and she says, I'm so afraid of, because I don't know how to do this, and what am I going to do? And he just said, I'll be there. I'll be with you. And I won't leave you. And I'll find a ship that can look after you and then set this thing up. Which is exactly what God does. It's exactly what Jesus does. But so many of us are so terrified of allowing change that we sit with nonsense for so long and nothing ever changes. And what struck me as I was looking at this thing of encouragement, God says, ask me for Parksville. It was that, but if you ask me for Parksville, you better be ready for cleaning the kitchen. You better be ready to serve. You better be ready to lay down your life. But I've already settled that. So he says, oh, you can have that. That's done for me. Coming out on a Sunday night is no problem. Some people, you would think it's moving the earth. It's ridiculous. And you read through the Bible and you read through the people who followed Jesus, and that's what I'm going to pick up now, is that all of them went through discouragement. All of them went through hardship. In fact, the only certainty in life is that life is going to be a challenge. And you either live it in defensiveness because you're scared of life and you're trying to keep your retirement together, your life together, until you die. And the most important thing is whether your lawn is cut because the neighbors will complain, or you go, my life is more meaningful for that. Lord, how do you want me to use, be used by you? You know what we do so much of the time? We've made our decisions about our lives. And we're asking God to come in and make our decisions work out. And he said, do you not understand that I saved you for a reason beyond your agenda? I saved you so that you could follow me. Because in me you will have life and fulfillment. And one of the biggest ways to break free in life is to just say, Lord, what do you want to do with me? And he doesn't want to use you. He just wants to take you on an adventure. I just wish that he would give me this big screen that could do those you know, action replays. And I could say, give me five years of your life. Let's do an action replay. This is what he had in mind. Imagine. This big action replays. Tell me what the last five years of your... Well, I, lie, I did this and this and this and this. And some of us will have fun with our action replays. You know, we'll think we did quite well and others will say it was hell on earth. And then you just punch in, what, what, what would Jesus have done with you? And I think the good, the bad and the ugly would just go, oh my word. Man, I didn't see that at all. But it's never too late. So we read this parable of the persistent widow because Jesus told his disciples. Why would he tell his disciples a parable which is qualified by Luke to say to, sh to show them that they should always pray and not give up? Probably the same reason he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous when you're going into the promised land. The promised land was God's gift to them. and was full of enemies and they had to do battle. Everything God does in us, around us, and through us is full of battle and conflict. It's just the way it is, because he's taking back the world, which is 
hostile. But when you're the winner, you walk in with authority and just declare, I've won now, so will you just give this back? You, you go in the confidence of God's Spirit in you, and you'll be surprised what happens. I speak life into you. I'm doing that more and more now with people who don't know Jesus. I just say, Lord, bless them. Fill them with your Spirit, because you believe in them more than they do. So just cheer up. He's on your way, his way. Because there's an element of get, get bold. It must suck to be you. You live on your own and you don't know God. It must be awful. How do you do it? How do you live by faith like that? Instead of, oh, I'm sorry, I want to tell you the four steps to know Jesus. And so, the, so, so Jesus told, said, don't give up. Let me, let me tell you this parable. And he said, there's this woman, and she's a widow. And she, she keeps coming to him with this judge. And this judge neither feared nor God nor cared about what people thought. So he's not a cool guy. And she keeps coming to him persistently, begging him and pleading with him and saying, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused and finally said to himself, even if I don't fear God or care what people think, that's a great self-awareness. I'm not sure that's true. But yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets what she wants. And so he gives it to her. And what does Jesus say? He says, that's got nothing to do with God, really. God is not like that at all. He just says, even in my example, when a, ju a judge who doesn't care gets irritated by this pestering woman and eventually grants it to her, how much more will God, who does care, respond to what you ask? He said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And will he keep putting them off? And I tell you this, he will see that they get justice and quickly. That's why I'm saying to people so often now, just say thank you. I think actually we do too much fasting and praying. Or some of us do. I think there's too much of that. Because you see, there's an element of if I fast and pray, I don't actually have to do anything. And I think we're called to live on the resurrection side of life, which means... Jesus says, yes, now go. And so I like the teaching that says, God gives you a green light, not a red light. So go for stuff until he gives you a red light. And he doesn't paint by numbers. He's not anal and he's not a control freak. He just says, what would you like to do? Is it going to hurt anybody? Have you got people around you? Have you got a vision? Are you sharing this with others? Why don't you discern it together and get on with it? Do some life. Stop running around thinking, I need, oh, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be crossed with you if you get a blue car rather than a red car. I couldn't care. Just drive safe. He's nice. God is nice. He's kind. And he's passionate about people. He's not passionate about you and I having excess comfort. He's not passionate about you and I living in peace in our circumstances all the time. He's passionate about a people who will lay down their lives and say, Lord, how do you want to use me even if it's inconvenient? Because as you give away, so you come to life. One, so, so I thought, well, you know, the, 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 who, who followed Jesus? Peter's my favorite. He followed Jesus and he got everything right and wrong. And uh, 
1 Peter 1.8 says this. I'm just going to look up a few verses and just jump out at them quickly and then we're going to go home. 1 Peter 1.8. He says to the, uh, he says 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Before that, he, he's talking, Peter has seen Jesus and he has been at the resurrection and he, he wasn't at the crucifixion, but he does remember the rooster crowing and he hates roosters. Every time a rooster crows, he goes, oh God, shut up. It's like the rainbow, except it's bad news for Peter. And if I was Peter's friend, I'd go, oh, hey, Peter. I'd irritate him, I'm sure. Yes. But maybe I wouldn't because I'd be sensitive because I'd be hurtful. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they say right now. Jesus says, Peter says, in his great mercy, you see the guy who the rooster convicted says this, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's writing this about 15 years, maybe 20 years after that experience. In other words, he was still vibrating with the love of God. It was still being worked out in him. But he wasn't saved. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. To sit in Galilee and say, I'm a fisher of men. He left Galilee for long periods of time and began to travel all over the place sharing about the resurrection of Jesus and healing and seeing people come to know the living God rather than be robbed by the religious institutions that were all over the land at the time. And that's what he calls you and me to do. He doesn't call human beings to anything else. All he calls us to, every single one of us, is your life is either for me or against me. Whatever you're doing, it's got to be a witness to me. Really don't care, because everybody's full-time. Everyone's full-time. The only question that's going to be asked at the end of the day when you're dead is, did you love me? But I didn't even know you. I don't know what God's justice does, but all he's going to ask is, did you love me? Not what was your doctrinal statement. Not what church did you go to. Not what good works you did. Because he said, those were great. I just didn't ask you to do them. And Peter said, you know, uh, he was so aware of God's uh, saving him. You know, it struck me this morning. We were talking about uh, Noah's Ark and the flood. And as we were singing a worship song, it just really struck me. I said, imagine you were one of the, you know, Noah's got all these people and he's got to take certain amounts into the ark and it's going to flood. And imagine, imagine you're in the crowd and Noah goes through and says, you, you, you on the ark. And then it starts raining. One of the most captivating scenes I've ever seen in a movie is in the perfect storm where that opens with this guy swimming in these big waves and there's no one in sight. Trying to imagine the loneliness of that place, the desperation, that just there's nobody to save me. And I was nearly drowned off African coast and I was tired and I thought I was going to drown. And the surfer came out and saved me. And once you've been saved, you kind of go, I can't just tell a story like that without passion. 
I can't go, oh yeah, I was lost and now I'm found. I said, I was so desperate. And you see, Peter was like that. And in a sense, until we know just how much we've been found, how much Jesus has come to us, we don't really get excited about much. Um, and he says, you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And you don't see him, but you'll know him. And there's, you see, the whole realm of hope from God's perspective is in how we know that we are his as we live on this earth. I'm going to go through because I'm going to get totally sidetracked on everything I do tonight. I can see it. It's not going to be pretty. Hebrews 11. What is faith? Faith is believing what you don't yet see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not yet see. What does it mean when we talked about at the end of that reading, uh, you know, will I find faith on earth? What does that mean? It means I'm living in a turmoil, believing for what not, is not yet. In my own life and in the circumstances, I am living in the reality of God's love and His hope and His healing, even though I'm surrounded by brokenness and there's not love and healing everywhere. Does that make sense? So what happens if we actually just realize that? And go, but my purpose is to be, a, is to be one who is, a, in a sense, like an antibody against cancer. When I am present, darkness pushes back. When I am present, the Spirit of God is present to release healing and love and hope. Wherever I go, Jesus walks with me. Wherever I go, He actually, when I touch somebody, Jesus touches them. And when I start actually living like that and start saying, I'm actually releasing light and hope into this place and I'm self-conscious about it and I go, I am the answer to your prayer. I'm not talking about um, pride now. I'm just talking about a healthy self-awareness. When God rescued me from my despair and depression about eight or nine, or it's getting longer and longer away now. Um, when was it? Twelve years ago? 50, I don't know. When I mean, I nearly killed myself in Salt Spring. And I was despairing, and I said, God doesn't care, and I, my life was a total mess. And when he began to call me out, he did the one thing, and I'll say this again and again and again. He said, open your shirt, and I had a slave shirt on, and there was a Superman emblem on my chest. And he said, you've forgotten your identity. And then somebody prophesied over my life about a, a year later and said, you've got a Clark, Gabe, Clark Kent and a superman. And what God is raising up is the super... Now, we all have this. If I think I'm Clark Kent, I will live like Clark Kent. If I think I'm Superman, I will live like Superman. And you are Superman because Jesus has set you free and placed in you an extraordinary presence and power to make a difference. But if you never actually know that, you will never live that. And Satan's greatest weapon is what that woman in the kitchen with her chef, the chef imprisoned that woman in her own business and crippled that business. That is Satan telling lies to you. 
And that's why Jesus walks into our life and said, I have come to set you free. You can take possession of your kitchen or you can take possession of your life so that your life can become something where people will come in and say, this is fine dining. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's amazing how it all works together, doesn't it? Very sweet. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but aren't they cool images? And encouragement and hope is about a God who says, I've come into your kitchen, I've come into your life, and I'm saying, though you might not see me, you will know me, and I will work in you, through you, and around you to restore and redeem and release things that are quite extraordinary. And that is the source of hope. Stop trying to get me to change circumstances. Get me to change you, and you will change circumstances. You be the light and the salt that the world needs. Stop asking me to save Parksville. Because he's saying, who shall I send? Here am I, Lord, send me. All right, go. But Lord, I feel nervous. So did everybody I've called and go through the scriptures. Your nervousness is not my problem. Oh, but Lord, I'm just... He said, don't... What's a good word? I, I don't know what a word is. <laughs> don't talk with me like that. <laughs> to me like that. Don't, don't... There's no word that adequately describes it. But I'm not going to use it because I'm going to get in trouble. You see, God's trying to say to us, you come to those conclusions because you trust in yourself. But if you allow me to work in you, through you, and around you, you will see some extraordinary things begin to take place. But I want you to stop the false humility. I want you to acknowledge that you're quite selfish and you actually have quite an agenda. And I want you to actually, if I am your Lord, I want you to loosen the strings a bit and let me actually begin to take you into places you're not always comfortable. And every time you tell me you're not comfortable, that's not a huge moment of truth. It's just, of course you're not comfortable. You could have been comfortable, but you've been dragging your heels for 20 years and you're still not comfortable with something I was trying to get you through 20 years ago. I walked around until God said, you know, through Graham Cook, he said, you know, you can wander in the wilderness and then there are windows where you can actually uh, hear God's voice. And when God speaks, you want to pay attention. Otherwise, you'll wander around in the wilderness again. And I, I knew what conversation I was going to have and I didn't want to have it. And Graham Cook just said, you know, uh, you can wander for as long as you like, but when you do come back, the conversation gets picked up exactly at the same place. And I went, oh, shoot. This is going <laughs> to... This isn't working. Because I thought he'd feel sorry for me. I thought, you know, he would understand why I was a victim. And all of that stuff, he kind of went, well, I do, but it's still not an excuse. Because the truth will set you free. And so at the end of the day, you've got to have the conversation, whatever that is. It's always about love, but it's also about truth. And Peter had that conversation. That's why he can write 20 years later, this is who I believe. This is my inheritance. The writer to Hebrews then says, faith is believing what you don't yet see. So what do you do? You have to keep going, knowing the one 
who does see all things. That's why our relationships with Jesus are so important. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 talks about living by faith, not by sight. The Spirit guarantees what is to come. All through the Scriptures, all these people, it's Paul and Peter and John and James, they all write about believing in your heart things that you don't experience. Yet. And so I just want to encourage you to nurture your relationship with Jesus. Because that will actually equip you and strengthen you to be, be the salt and the light in a, in a place that is not yet what it should be. Does that make sense? How many of you are still asking God to just bless your life and keep everybody away from you so that you can have a nice time? Because <laughs> He just doesn't answer those prayers. Well, He shouldn't if He is. <laughs> I'm going to finish, I think, with Luke 11, where this. Because wherever you are, God says, I can use you. And I'm not talking about using in a functional way. It's just that. I mean, do you like being around miserable people or do you like being around positive, joyful people? So I, I said in the trail notes, which is the newsletter I send out every week, I said, go and look in the mirror and, 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 and look at yourself. And, and give yourself a, a sort of miserable face and then smile. And then say, who do you want to be around? Yeah, I, I love Jesus. Yeah, I, I believe in God. Um, he's changed my life. If you let him in your heart, you can be like me. <laughs> That's what people see. And there's an element of what flows into you, flows out of you. And you know, you can't, there's that word again, you, you know, you can't fake it. You can't fake it. And instead of faking it, just say, Lord, I need help. And he says, I know you do. I've been trying to tell you that ever since you were conceived, by the way. <laughs> you need help. And you, you thought you were fully established. I don't know. You were satisfied with what I'm not saying. That's another sermon, sorry. I, I really, it's just not going tonight. Luke 11. I promise you this is five minutes. Not even that. I can't find the place, so it could be longer. <laughs> It's that, it's that moment where, 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 where somebody comes and knocks on the door and says, says to the, the, the friend of theirs, I need bread for my friend. And they knock on the door and it's midnight and I wouldn't answer a door for a friend at midnight. Um, and he says, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are in bed and I can't get up and I give you anything. And I tell you, even though you will not get up and give you any, the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love that. Shameless audacity is actually a word for prayer. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So what does God say? He says, so I say to you, ask it will be given, seek you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, so the one who knocks the door will be opened. In shorthand, God says, yes, what do you want? Yes. What's he saying? He's saying, you, somebody comes to you, any circumstance in your life right now, pay attention, because some of you are whiners. <laughs> you are, you whiners. 
Some of you are falsely humble and you think, oh no, God wouldn't use me. That's just called disobedience and rebellion. And others of you just, I'm not even going to describe you. So, whatever you, wherever you are right now in your life, God says, you can come to me, knock on the door, because you can say, I don't have the resources. I don't have the resources. And he says, well, I do. So how are you going to get the resources? Oh, Jesus, I just pray that you'll send some bread. He might say, why don't you just come and ask and seek and knock? In other words, Jesus says to you and to me, the encouraging word is, come to me and I will give you what you need. Ask. Ask. Seek and find. And all of those who ask, seek, find, he said, yes, 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 here. God's problem, I promise you, is not with not having resources, is not scratching his head and saying, you've really got me stumped. Your life, yeah, I, you know, even Gordon Ramsay couldn't work it out. God is saying, the problem is not that I don't have resources. The problem is, you come to me and you ask, but you don't hang around to receive. And so you're continually tired and discouraged because you don't actually believe that I am releasing stuff to you. And the reason you don't believe and you don't receive is because part of receiving means you have to clean up the kitchen and you're scared of what that will be like. And I just want to encourage you not to be afraid of Jesus and not to be afraid of what he wants to do. Because what he wants to do is a wonderful thing. And it's different for each person, but it's the same. It's the Mary saying, don't let roll a stone away from the cave so my brother can come out. And Jesus is saying, if you don't roll away the stone, you won't get the healing. And I just want to encourage us to not resist God's pressing in on our lives. Because He wants to encourage. He wants to say yes. He wants to say, let's go forward. But you've got to have the Gordon Ramsay element to it. Does that make sense to you? Encouragement is everywhere. So, Father, we just pray for one another tonight. We pray that uh, we would know your presence because your presence is what encourages us. Your presence is what makes the difference. And so you have you know, two ways to live as we gather around this table tonight to share the breaking of bread. And This is a simple uh, illustration. It's a simple opportunity for us to basically come before God together. And he says, you know, I give you the bread and the wine. The bread and the wine are symbols of my generosity to you. They're symbols of my care for you. And the reason you come up here is because we have to get up and receive what's been given. But God's encouragement is, not I'm going to tell you how you're going to fix your issue. My problem, your, his encouragement is, I will be with you, and as I'm with you, you will see change. 
It takes Gordon Ramsay to come into the restaurant, look around, ask questions, taste and see, and say, no, 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 then work out a solution. That's how Jesus works. Come into my life, come into my circumstances, then walk through it with me and see what changes need to take place. And then use you to walk into somebody else's kitchen and help them see, and so it goes on. And there's nothing more thrilling than seeing hope break forth in somebody who has none or see support for somebody who needs it because we all need it at different times. And I believe me, as you encourage others, so you will be encouraged. That's how it works, doesn't it? And so Jesus, when, you know, before he, he went to the cross, he, he shared this meal with his disciples because he knew that they would feel alone. He knew that they would feel abandoned. He knew they would feel terribly, terribly lost. And so he said, when you gather together, because you're going to need one another, you've got to walk in community. When you gather together, do this in remembrance of me so that you'll understand that your strength and your encouragement comes from inside And so Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And remember when you eat that I laid down my life for you that you might have life. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink this, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So there's nothing in your life that cannot be forgiven. There's nothing that you've ever done that God can't forgive and heal. He said, I've already paid the price. I've already made the way. All you need to do is receive. So come before me knowing that I have paid for your sin. Be forgiven and be reconciled daily so that we can be friends and I can help you and live in you and through you. And be your encouragement. Let's stand.